On Monday, it was announced that with 47% of the vote, Liz Truss had won the Conservative leadership election. That means she's heading into number 10 at a particularly turbulent time, with sharks already circling and some of Boris's fans already seemingly keen to strike. That means the first days of her premiership will be particularly important. So over the next few months, we're going to be tracking Truss's progress. Every Tuesday and Friday, we'll be reviewing Truss's first 100 days, seeing how she's able to cope with some of Britain's biggest crises in modern British political history. To do that, we put together a list of nine key promises and policy areas, and we're going to see whether Truss is able to deliver on them. So in today's episode, we'll be going through the first days of her premiership, discussing what's happened so far, as well as telling you what these nine policies are that we're going to be tracking over the next 100 days. So stay tuned for all of that. Anyway, before we get to those metrics we'll be checking, let's start by discussing Truss's tenure over the last couple of days. And to do that, I'm joined by Zach Michaelis, TLDR's editor-in-chief. Hello. And Nelson Fernandez-Cerro, TLDR EU's lead writer. Hello. How are you both doing? Yeah, very, very well. Obviously, I think we should say... Yes, this yeah. is being recorded Thursday at 3 2. p.m. So if there's any news that emerges after that, yeah. whatever that news may be, we're not aware of it at this yeah, stage. Of course. Which is a weird caveat to make. We're not... Yeah. We, that caveat's always true. Yeah. But it's especially prescient. Especially. Sure. That aside, let's focus on Liz Truss's first week because this looks to be a momentous week for yeah. all kinds of reasons. So, as I said in the intro, Truss um, was able to win the Conservative leadership race with 81,000 votes, which comes in at 57% of the vote, which is a tighter margin than Johnson versus Hunt last time round. And obviously yeah. the previous time, Theresa May, we never got to the final vote. Yeah. Um, it's also likely closer than we expected, right? Yeah. What are your kind of both thoughts on the initial result when it came out on Monday? Yep, so not only was this closer than Johnson versus Hunt, this is the closest um, result under the new leadership scheme. Yeah. Um, so I believe it was in 2001 that they changed the system of how it was voted, and this is the closest. And given that the entire momentum in the campaign, from the members at least, mm -hmm. was for trust, Seeing it be so close, I think has jolted mm -hmm. Truss and her team. And I think it's what's led to her being more loyalist focused, as we'll probably get into. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not set her off on the strongest foot if she's only been able to garner 57% of the membership when all the polls put her vastly ahead. Mm-hmm. Zach, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I completely agree with what Nelson's just said. I mean, if the fact that the new prime minister can't doesn't command at least the first preference support of mm -hmm. a majority of MPs and only that of a very slight majority of the membership doesn't bode well for her. And yeah, as Nelson mentioned, it probably plays into her decision to appoint a very loyalist cabinet, which I'm sure we'll get on to in a second. The other thing I think is worth mentioning is just that um, it's really interesting in retrospect how much the polls framed this race because yes. all the polls were saying there was this massive lead um, for Truss and that clearly had an influence on the way that Sunak campaigned mm -hmm. um, and you can just imagine the hypothetical imagine the polls were saying actually it's 55, 45 or 57, 43 yeah. and you can imagine the campaign would have been very, very different 
Um, and this, yeah, it's, it's just odd. The media and actually the politicians' incessant focus on what turned out to be very unreliable polls mm -hmm. um, has really skewed how the race panned out. Um, and you can just imagine, actually, I mean, plausibly, if Sunak had known it was this tight, he might not have tacked so heavily to the right. And yeah. he, he, I don't know how that would have played out in the results. But that's my, my main takeaway is it's just interesting how much polling can frame a race, um, especially when it's not accurate. And as we discussed in the live stream on Monday, the number of key big heavyweight politicians that jumped on board yeah, with yeah. her mid-August, kind of fairly late in the race, clearly weighing things up, they were undoubtedly swayed by those polling results. And if more of them had yeah. gone on Rishi's side, I mean, as you say, yeah. there's no guarantee where it would have gone. But, but it probably would have been closer. It would have been almost certainly closer and it would have looked a lot less inevitable for a lot less time. On that topic, then, you've mentioned the kind of reaction from uh, the trust team and from MPs more generally. The fact it's so close and the fact that she never commanded support of MPs in the Commons. What do you think that tells us about her chances for the next couple of years? So the Conservative Party is traditionally brutal when it comes to getting rid of leaders. Yes. It, it did take a while for them to get rid of Johnson or the Partygate scandal, but... Mm -hmm when it got to the point of yeah. no longer, he, he had to go. But after that, they do seem to be okay at unifying behind the leader and giving them a chance to do well. Sure. So um, today, as we, as we speak, there was an energy bill support scheme launched mm -hmm. by Liz Truss, basically freezing the energy price cap, which we'll probably get onto later. Mm -hmm. And it does seem that most, if not all of our MPs, are satisfied with the response and satisfied that this is a correct measure, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So if, if she goes down that route, she might be able to unify the party. If she goes down small state, low tax, she might reinvigorate traditional conservatives. Mm -hmm. Whether that gets all of her party on board, we don't know because ultimately she and Rishi had vastly different... Um, perspectives and proposals when it came to tax and the state. Yes. So it's about reconciling that. I, I still think it's too early to tell. Okay, um, let's move on to the next section then. Let's discuss what she had to say immediately afterwards. She made two fairly notable speeches, obviously the one, the kind of acceptance speech on Monday, and then on Tuesday, a speech outside of number 10, kind of setting out her agenda. In both of those speeches, she took a real opportunity to praise Boris Johnson, her predecessor, um, and to kind of promote his legacy and to kind of promote some of his key talking points. And I think we've got a clip of that right now. And I also want to thank our outgoing leader, my friend, Boris Johnson. <laughs> Boris, you got Brexit done. You crushed Jeremy Corbyn. You rolled out the vaccine and you stood up to Vladimir Putin. You were admired from Kiev to Carlisle. Okay, so in that clip, you will have heard that she was really promoting some of the core things that Boris Johnson's been talking about for a long time, the key moments, the key achievements, what do you think about that? There was obviously a lot of talk during the campaign about needing a fresh start and about drawing a line under things and changes, but it seems that at least initially, Trust isn't doing that. Do you think that's a good decision or do you think it's a weird decision? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's like there's, it makes sense in a way, doesn't it? I mean, the polling does show that actually Boris Johnson is still more popular than both Sunak and Trust, uh, both with, well, especially with the Conservative membership. Um, and I think Trust recognises that when she has such a slim mandate, um, she has to do a bit of placating the mm -hmm. Bojo crowd. 
um, if she wants to achieve that unity that Nelson was talking about. I, I, well, the main thing I think about the, all the stuff is that it's interesting that the political incentives are still such that Truss is focusing on conservative MPs and the conservative membership, even though the, the election's finished and yeah. the, the selectorate's done with, more than the wider general public. Because if you want to win over the wider general public, the sensible thing to do here is to say, listen, this is a fresh start. I'm not Boris Johnson. Mm -hmm. I you know, dismiss all that nonsense stuff he did earlier. Um, but clearly the political incentives are currently such that she still has to focus on the sort of conservative core. And that, again, just doesn't bode well for her future electoral chances, but it's sort of what she has to do at the moment because she's still steadying the ship. Before we get to what you've got to say on that, Nelson, uh, Keir Starmer had some similar remarks to make in PMQs yesterday where he said that uh, this wasn't a change and it was the same party as previously. So let's take a look at that clip. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister claims to be breaking orthodoxy, but the reality is she's reheating George Osborne's failed corporation tax plan, protecting oil and gas profits and forcing working people to pay the bill. She's the fourth Tory Prime Minister in six years. The face at the top may change, but the story remains the same. There is nothing new about the Tory fantasy of trickle-down economics. Nothing new about this Tory Prime Minister who nodded through every single decision that got us into this mess and now says how terrible it is. And can't she see... There's nothing new about a Tory Prime Minister who, when asked who pays, says it's you, the working people of Britain. Yeah. Ultimately, this is the same Conservative Party. Sure. It's the same Conservative Party that went into power in 2010. So I think, counter to Zach's point, that she is actually appealing to the general public but in a more tacit fashion, in that a Conservative Prime Minister getting up on an the national stage and going, this was a, the previous prime minister was a complete mistake, they did it completely wrong. It's rubbishing her own party. So I, I think she wants to start with the positives of Boris Johnson in, in, in a way to try and hold on to this part. Yes, this is a fresh start with a fresh leader, not making the same mistakes, but we have to remember where he came from and not give a talking point to Keir Starmer like the blue on blue attacks during the debates. Well, I think your last point there, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with because I think that actually you lend far more ammo to Keir Starmer by associating yourself with the Conservative Party of the past. And I think Starmer thinks that as well, which is why his attack line yeah. there mm -hmm. was to try and associate with her with the Conservative Party of the past. So I don't think it, it may be you're right, but if that's true, that's not a good political strategy from her. The other thing I would say is that historically, the argument you made doesn't really hold because... There's a mass, clearly, I mean, Boris Johnson is the best example of this. There was clearly a mass of be political benefit to be reaped from distancing yourself yeah. from your political predecessors. And that's what Boris Johnson did very successfully. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was, especially when it came to economic issues, in stark contrast to the sort of Cameron Osborne era. And that played really well for him. You know, he said, you know, I'm not the Conservative Party of old. I'm not high tax, low spend. I like big infrastructure products. I like big spending. Mm -hmm. I like sort of equality, at least regional equality, hence leveling up. Um, so I, you might be right, of course, and descriptively, that might be what Truss is thinking. Um, but in terms of whether or not that's a good piece of politics, yeah, no, yeah. it's not. Um, and I think Truss would be better suited uh, 
to uh, basically distancing herself from Boris Johnson. And I think the reason, well, maybe you're right, maybe the reason that she isn't is because she genuinely thinks it will play well with the general public. But I think she's definitely at least cognizant of uh, the lack of unity within the Conservative Party. Also, to be fair, she is so linked to all of the previous Conservative governments. Besides Michael Gove, she's the longest uh, standing cabinet member there is in the current, like, modern realm of the Conservative Party. Yeah. So it's kind of hard for her to distance herself, even if she wanted yeah. to. I mean, praising Boris Johnson, who is... I mean, not as unpopular as her, but very unpopular with factions of the country, maybe isn't the best move. But equally, she can't exactly say I have nothing to do with this when she's been foreign secretary, international trade, all of those other positions over the last number yeah. of years. I think you're right. There's a limit to what she can do. And maybe she's just accounting for that fact yeah. and going like, listen, I have to work within this framework. Yes. I may as well try and sell the bits that I thought were good. So speaking of 2024 and kind of how she appeals to the general electorate more generally, she actually said um, in her acceptance speech, we will deliver a great victory for the Conservatives in 2024. Um, we're going to get on to what this kind of means for Labour and how they're feeling at this point later. Um, but do you think that's a reasonable ambition? Do you think that she does have good prospects going into 24? Obviously quite a long way out, but what are your initial thoughts? I don't think, well, she has to say that. She can't open yes. with, yeah, I can't yeah. wait to lose in a period of time. It's going to be humiliating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't, well, this is not a hot take. This is what everyone thinks, but yeah. I don't think her prospects are good going into 2024. It does look like the next couple of years are going to be very difficult. And sure, mm -hmm. it's, in you know, especially economically, and sure, that's in large part um, down to things that she can't control. Um, but history does show that high inflation and low growth, no matter the causes, do hurt incumbent governments. Yeah. So I, I don't think it bodes well for her. But you never know. I mean, she's I think in a way she, she's sort of correct to be going for a slightly more unorthodox fiscal and economic policy because she's got to do something. Yeah. Um, and I think Sunak's um, particular brand of sort of managerialism. In this context, you know, you can imagine Sunak essentially just sort of like managing the decline until 2024 <laughs> and everyone being like, well, this is rubbish. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, you're competent, but we're just slightly less poor than we would have been poorer. Yeah. Um, so I, in that sense, I think that actually she has to try something. I think it's unlikely to pull off because this, the sort of wider global macroeconomic winds are blowing so strongly against mm -hmm. her. Um, but yeah, well, yeah, no, basically, I don't think she'll win. She does set out a clear plan, at least, or as clear as we've heard from her thus far in her opening speech outside number 10. Firstly, I will get Britain working again. I have a bold plan to grow the economy through tax cuts and reform. I will cut taxes to reward hard work and boost business-led growth and investment. I will drive reform in my mission to get the United Kingdom working, building and growing. We'll get spades in the ground to make sure people are not facing unaffordable energy bills. And we will also make sure that we are building hospitals, schools, roads and broadband. Secondly, I will deal hands-on with the energy crisis caused by Putin's war. I will take action this week to deal with energy bills and to secure our future energy supply. Thirdly, I will make sure that people can get doctor's appointments and the NHS services they need. We will put our health service on a firm footing. It is something that I think does appeal to the vast majority mm -hmm. of people in that I can't think of anyone in my inner circle that hasn't suffered from problems with NHS uh, care in recent weeks and months be it not being able to get an appointment at your GP yeah. or 
dentists not having any NHS appointments and just closed off. Yeah. So I do think that is a, a, a salient issue that people are going to be uh, wanting tough action on. So whether she is able to deliver on that. The Getting Britain Working one is a bit is a bit jarring because obviously during the campaign there was leaked audio of her saying um, that British workers need more graft. Yeah. If British workers um, produce less per hour, then, and that's a combination of kind of skill and application. If you look at productivity, it's very, very different in London from the rest of the country. Essentially, it's partly a sort of mindset and attitude thing. I think. Yeah, it's working culture, basically. If you go to China, it's quite different. There's a there's a fundamental issue of British working culture, and it's not essentially if we're going to be a richer country and a more prosperous country, that needs to change. But I don't think people are that keen to change that. So I think there's a slight there's a slight thing in Britain about wanting the easy answers, and I think that's you know that's my reflection on the election and what's gone before it. And the referendum is like. Who say it's all Europe that's causing all these problems? It's all these migrants that yeah. cause these problems. And actually, what needs to happen is, to me, a bit more, uh, yeah. more graft. <laughs> and it's, it's not a popular message. So she has to be wary that this whole sort of like get Britain working thing mm -hmm. does isn't too easily associated with some of her previous comments. I mean, I think the comment you're mostly referring to is a comment made in a book that she co-authored actually with Kwasi Kwarteng, mm -hmm. uh, Dominic Raab and uh, Pretty Patel and one more conservative MP, I can't remember at the moment, called Britannia Unchanged. Yeah. Unchained. And, and in it, um, there's a quote, something like, you know, British workers are the most idle in the world or something like that. Um, I, th I think the, the NHS one, uh, obviously noble ambition, but again, the headwinds aren't mm. good here. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, we're having we have massive waiting lists. I don't know what the precise numbers are, but they are enormous at the yeah. moment. They are one in eight um, people are on the hospital waiting list in England. So what's today. that like? Eight million, something like that. Six point eight million. That's a lot of people. Seven million people. There yeah. you go. And also, you've taken into account that we are going into a winter. Yeah. We're also going into winter where there'll be higher than average fuel poverty. So that yes. means more cold people, mm -hmm. more pneumonia, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so again, the headwinds don't bode well for her, and you can see how all of these crises interact with one another, so she's really going to have to play whack-a-mole mm -hmm. um, with them. Uh, but yes, yeah, so, uh, yeah, again, yeah, so uh, good stuff to, to aim for, um, yeah. and we'll, we'll see how it all pans out. To help her achieve those plans, she's announced her new cabinet. Um, we've got. It would a, be difficult without one. It would be difficult. It's going to be difficult regardless. <laughs> yeah. Without a cabinet, it's even more difficult. So let's run through some of the notable people. Um, and if you've got any thoughts on them, how they'll be in the role, previous jobs, that kind of thing. So let's start with the new chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng. Yeah, so he... I'm not sure how to describe him, and I'm not sure any political commentator is. If I recall correctly, The Economist have called him brainy, nerdy, and weird. Okay. Um, so he, he is going to be a central figure in the next few weeks, yeah. uh, especially if Trust does go ahead with the emergency budget, what she's terming fiscal event. Mm -hmm. So she, he's going to be quite critical. Uh, former business secretary and... I don't think he has enough name recognition, so he'll have to um, make a name for himself, but he is on the right of the party. He yep. is a very key, loyal ally to Liz Truss. In fact, they live on the same street in Greenwich, okay. um, causing um, people to term it the Greenwich set of cabinets. Mm -hmm. So 
they are they are very close allies mm -hmm. and i do think that unlike some of the previous governments and unlike especially rishi and johnson yeah that this is going to be a far more conducive number 10 number yes. 11 relationship going forward Homesick, sorry. Oh, well, no, I was just going to, um, on no one knowing how to describe Quasi Quantum, yeah. there's a really good Nick Robinson interview where he opens it by going like, and some people have described you as the Black Boris. And Quasi Quantum just looks at him and goes, I've, I've never heard <laughs> anyone call me that. Where have you heard that from? Um, if I have, if we got a moment, I'll, one moment on Quasi yeah, Quantum, because I actually think Quasi Quantum is, is quite a top-notch politician. I mean, people call him really brainy because he has yeah. a ridiculously impressive academic history. Mm -hmm. So went to Eton. Uh, I mean, that's not impressive. You just pay for it, but yeah. sure. <laughs> but then he went to Cambridge, got a double first, and I think history and classics. Uh, went to Harvard for a bit on a Kennedy scholarship. Mm -hmm. Then as a PhD in some niche thing about 19th century coinage yeah. um, from Cambridge. Uh, he was basically an economic historian. He won University Challenge, ah. uh, which is quite impressive. There's a clip on YouTube of him. Ben and Rory would love that. Why well, neither yeah. of them yeah. 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 And uh, there's a little clip of him on YouTube where he buzzes and then forgets it. And he goes, buzzes, and he goes, oh, fuck, I've forgotten. <laughs> um, so he's sort of semi-famous for that. I, I actually think uh, on, his, on his sort of politics, um, again, he co-authored that book, Britannia yes. on Change, uh, and that is essentially a sort of uh, a right-wing sort of libertarian neoliberal manifesto. Sure. Um, so that's where his e economic politics are. Um, he's got an interestingly subtle take on the culture wars. He's also, a year before he wrote Britannia on Change, he wrote a, a book about Britain's colonial past. And if you have read the comments of any of the other cabinet members on like that sort of thing, it's all predictably sort of like weirdly boosterish about sure. how like it was actually quite a good thing that we, <laughs> you know, mm. made people property. But then he had a really, he has a really, really nuanced take um, and uh, I mean, it's, it's sort of more conventional as well. Yeah. Um, I, I actually think he'll be a really good chancellor. I think that Liz Truss's economic aspirations are massive. You know, yeah. she has some really ambitious plans and you need someone competent to be able to pull it off. And I think it bode well that his first intervention so far was to go to the Bank of England, I think yesterday, mm -hmm. um, and describe that he basically went to all the big banks and said, listen, the independence of the Bank of England is sacrosanct. We're not going to change that, which is something that Truss has flirted with yeah. in the last of the campaign and it did spook markets. Um, and, and I think Quarting will do a good job of essentially maintaining market and investor confidence in the UK, um, mm -hmm. which is really, really necessary, especially if you want to borrow more heavily, at least in the short term, which is something that trust is apparently open to. So I actually think Quart I actually sort of back Quarting is what okay. I'm getting at here. I think of all the politicians that trust could have picked, he's pretty good. Yeah. Cool. Let's move on to Home Secretary Suella Braverman, who we might remember from previous videos we've made yeah. and from the live streams we did. Uh, Nelson, what's happening there? Yep, so she was a leadership contender. And yep. um, if I recall correctly, she was the first one to declare herself for the leadership. She was, live before on Peston. Johnson had even resigned. Yeah. Very so, eager. While still a cabinet minister. So yeah. collective responsibility out the window for her. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so she was Attorney General, yeah. and um, she's a very controversial figure, mm -hmm. especially because she definitely is on the right of the party, yeah. and um, she, do she doesn't like woke nonsense and r rights, apparently. <laughs> so, <laughs> so to have an Attorney General in that position yeah. is, is concerning, and some people did raise concerns about her appointment as Attorney General, um, there were some concerns about she not having enough practicing experience, but moving on to the Home Secretary role, that's less of a concern. What's more of a concern is that she seems to be trying to out pretty pretty. Mm -hmm. um, she's doubled down on the Randa policy. She's 
double down on like being tough on crime mm -hmm. or the quintessentially conservative yeah. talking points. She is just turned up to number 20 on the speakers. Yeah, I think a hottest take in that respect is she did say she wants to leave the ECHR. Yeah. Um, with European Convention on Human Rights, which just for clarity's sake, nothing to do with the EU. Mm -hmm. It's the Council just, of Europe, which yeah. was started in 1950. Yeah, it's a post-war thing, just yeah. about protecting Winston human Churchill. rights. Shouldn't be particularly controversial. But yeah, it's, it will be interesting to see if she tries to follow through on that yeah. in the cabinet. Well, th that policy now can't, provisionally can't happen because um, Liz Truss has abandoned plans to bring forward the British Bill of Rights, mm -hmm. which would have given us the legal, legal space in domestic law to yeah. leave the ECHR. Currently under the Human Rights Act, together with the Good Friday Agreement, we can't. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a new thing having someone controversial in the Home Secretary. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's in a very Never stable, popular position for a while now. Theresa May, Pretty yeah. I mean, <laughs> lovely. There's people. a trend, and it's 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 an interesting <laughs> one. Um, Foreign Secretary James Cleverly. Yeah. So formerly at the Education Department, and at one point, I believe, Party Chairman. Um, I'm not sure there's much to say about him. Yeah, no, I was just thinking that. He seems <laughs> um, like a nice bloke. I don't know. Nice bloke. Yeah, he gets a bit bit mouthy on Twitter. That's the only Does thing he? I really know about him. Yeah, yeah, he loves a bit of Twitter sass. But he, but he he from Greenwich too. Is he? Don't know. I'm asking. I think so. Don't know. I think he is actually. Good point. Yeah. We should yeah. move to Greenwich. It sounds like they're having a lovely time. We don't need a parliamentary press pass. Just no, hang just out there. Hang out in Greenwich. <laughs> in it's front a nice of Liz Truss's house. Just, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. The only thing I can say about James Cleverly is I don't think he's. Oh, the pitch of your yeah, voice that suggests that's not true. Very high. <laughs> Poor headphone user. <laughs> um, I don't think he's done anything controversial. Well, for insecurity, it's a place to do controversial things. Yeah. There's precedent. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move to the next person then. Um, Deputy Prime Minister and Health Secretary, Therese Coffey. Again, not enough sound about is her. yours. She was all over Twitter the other day because her ringtone is Dr. still Dre. Dre. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Fair play from her. Yeah. She, she said she wants to tackle the ABCDs of um, healthcare, ambulances, backlog, care, doctors and dentistry. I just hate when they shoehorn that like shit in like a crap acronym. They just, they have to have it. Do you know yeah. What I mean? Yeah. The only thing I would also add is the position of deputy PM means constitutionally absolutely nothing. Yes. So God forbid Liz Truss, um, like Boris Johnson, has to go into hospital and... Mm -hmm is no longer in a position to undertake her capacity. She can appoint um, Therese Coffey as her deputy, but it's not... It's not a vice president. Kind yes, of yes. It's not yeah. constitutional, but um, I believe in the cabinet ranking, she is number two, okay. which is weird. Normally, you would have someone like the Chancellor or the yes. Foreign Secretary number two, not a health secretary, but she is one of Liz Truss's closest allies, yes. if not the closest ally. She was going in and out of number 10 mm -hmm. on um, Tuesday. Yeah. Um, like every few minutes. So sure. she, she is, I think she's going to be the rock of Liz Trust over these next few weeks. Okay, let's move to the last one. We're going to go into a lot of detail on um, business, energy and industrial strategy minister, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Who do we need to introduce? I feel like... He's a huge name in his own right, to be he, fair. He really is. What do we think about him having this position, though? Because previously he's held various positions, but this is, this is an interesting one. one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, given he dresses like he's from the 18th century, he knows a lot about industry. He does. Like, he does look like, like Industrial look, Revolution vibes, yeah. for sure. No, in all seriousness, when it comes to Jacob Rees-Mogg, 
I don't think he's ever been tested in a quote unquote proper position. Mm -hmm. He's been leader of the house. Um, he's been um, Brexit opportunities minister and leader of efficiency. And he went round civil service departments sticking pins and notes into people's boards. Yeah. But I don't think he's been tested in a department of substance yet. Okay. So this could be a good test for him. The only problem is um, his department technically covers um, the decarbonisation um, efforts in government, and he hasn't exactly been the most full-fronted supporter of um, net zero and reducing climate change. It is worth saying there that there is also now going to be a separate minister for climate, who yes. is Graham Stewart, mm -hmm. who actually is a full-throated supporter yeah. of net zero. So that will be definitely more than mitigating. I think, I think to be honest with you, the other parts of his portfolio sort of make sense, you know, business, mm -hmm. industrial strategy. I mean, he has, all MPs claim to have this, but he has some sort of business background where he was mm -hmm. an investment banker, one of those yeah. sort of things. And, um, you know, maybe he'll, he'll be appropriately qualified for that. But it's at least nice to know that the climate part of his portfolio has been sort of devolved to a separate climate minister. Sure. Um, yeah. Then we've got a few more familiar faces that we're going to quickly go through. We've got uh, Tugendhat, Badenoch and Morden, all from the leadership race. Yep. Um, what do we make of their positions and the fact that Rishi Sunak isn't anywhere to be seen? Having them in the cabinet is a good move, I would say, mm -hmm. in an attempt to unify the party. Yeah. Um, the, this leadership contest was incredibly divisive, um, substantially more divisive than the one that saw Johnson into office and the one mm -hmm. that saw Theresa May into office. So I do think it is a good move. Yeah. The question is whether or not it, whether or not these ministers use it as a platform to actually try again for the leadership. So like Kemi Badenoch, one of her, one of her main criticisms was she didn't have proper cabinet experience. Mm -hmm. After this, she will do. She will so do. Yeah. That's that's a drawback from her pitch that's been removed. But I do genuinely think it's good to have people in the tent pissing out than mm -hmm. out pissing in. What do you make of it, Zach? I mean, historically, the person who comes second and the people who do best, I mean, with the exception of Johnson, who really broke precedent there, tend to get a fairly senior position and he was already chancellor. So historically, it wouldn't have been all that surprising to see Rishi keep that job. What do you make of the fact that he's not in the tent at all, as Nelson put it? No, he's not in the tent. Um, where's the piss going? Where's it going? Good questions. Where's, where's Rishi's piss? Um, that could be the intro. Um, <laughs> but he, I, I, I think, again, it's one of those conventions that probably did serve the Conservative Party quite well in the past. Yeah. I think, obviously, you want one of the most important, well, at least historically, one of the most important things for party electability is for it to seem unified yeah. and kicking Sunak and all his loyalist mates out and putting them in the back benches probably won't help that. And you can yeah. imagine, especially if um, Truss's particular economic policies um, don't pull off, mm -hmm. um, she'll face some real pushback from the sort of more old-school, fiscally conservative, Sunak-led backbenchers. Yeah. Um, Which but, is going to be difficult, yeah. too, because even if her policies do deliver to some extent just the way that the economy is going generally, it's yeah. going to get worse. Yeah, exactly. Like, regardless yeah. of how effective they are, she's going to be fighting against people saying like, look, you're poorer now. And it'll be true. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's proving the counterfactual for her is going to be virtually impossible. Yeah. No government has been elected uh, in the midst of a financial or economic crisis in history. 
2024, wait and see what happens. Um, another person who's missing is Nadine Dorries, who was offered to keep her job, but yeah. resigned regardless. Um, what do we make of that? Obviously a very controversial figure and someone who may be hoping on the, or on the line to get a peerage instead. This is so sad. Do you want to do it, Nelson? Do you want to explain why she's... Well, she's going to get a peerage. She's going to get a peerage. She's going to get a peerage in Boris Which Johnson's means... resignation honours. So she will be called Dame, um, Dame Doris, Dame? Dame Doris. Lady. I don't know. Ooh. Doesn't matter. She'll have a title. Yeah. Um, and she will go to the House of Lords mm -hmm. and sit there and be a politician there. Um, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's slightly funny is the fact that she was replaced by Michelle Donnellan, who famously was education secretary for the duration of a TikTok. Mm -hmm. So now she's regulating it. Eh, Probably she probably knows short form content quite well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? It's just the the sort of like the politicization and the weaponization of peerages appointments is just it's a bit miserable, really. Mm -hmm. And it's just another one of those conventions that's just so decaying in the corner while we all just like thumbs up and carry on. Yeah. Overall then, if we stop drilling into the individuals, um what do we think of the picks? What do we think of the decisions? What is is this a good lineup for uh, for trust? So by far and away is loyalist focused. Mm -hmm. And that I think could be a problem for trust because ideally around the table, you want some dissenting voices. Policy in theory is made best when you have a genuine debate and a genuine conversation about things. Mm -hmm. But if, it, if it's just a cabinet of yes men, mm -hmm. it's, it will just be the worst policy coming out. So, if there isn't resistance to some of her policies from within, yeah, this could go badly. Zach? Yeah, I agree. And also, I just think that like, if you took the average, the mean ideology of that mm -hmm. cabinet, it's pretty far right. Yeah. And um, you know, whatever you think about that sort of politics, it's probably not that popular with the wider electorate. You yeah. know? Um, or at least it's not as popular as the sort of slightly more moderate Johnson boosterism mm -hmm. that preceded it. Um, yeah, the yeah. I also think that in some sense, this is all a symptom of the fact that for the last couple of years, the Tory party has been just sort of culling more and more of its MPs, or even if they're not like kicking them out of the party, just reducing them to nothing. You know, Johnson yeah. obviously did cack out quite a few um, over Brexit, um, including some sort of uh, big beasts, um, and like maybe Rory Stewart is a good example. Ken there. Clark, Ken Clark, yeah, um, and. Truss has obviously limited the number of her pool of possible cabinet ministers by excluding Sunak and all his mates. Um, so we are just sort of like narrowing down the political pile further and further and further. Mm -hmm. um, and, you, you know, it's just it's not the same as it used to be. There aren't any more. I mean, Sunak maybe is a big beast on the outside. Yeah. But you can't really name many conservative big beasts. I mean, a load of those cabinet members, people won't know who they are. No one knows who Kwasi Kwarteng is. I mean, no. we do, obviously, but yeah. no, most people don't. People don't really know who James Cleverly is. No. Therese Coffey. No. You know, none of these people. Jacob Rees-Mogg is a meme. But yeah. he's not like a serious bloke that everyone no. feels like is a big beast. And m m most of these cabinet ministers have only been in Parliament for a matter of years. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can see with this lineup how uh, famous uh, right-wing comedian Joe Lysett commented at the weekend <laughs> that this could be the dregs of the Conservative Party. Yeah. That being said, though, it is, while being very loyal and very right-wing, it's also a very diverse cabinet. It 
Nelson said it's full of yes men. I correct you, yes men and women. women. Um, that was good, dude. That was thank good. you. <laughs> oh, if you hadn't flagged it, it would have been better, though. Fuck, Come sorry. on. We can cut this. We can cut this. Um, but what do you make of that? Obviously, the kind of obvious diversity doesn't necessarily mean a diversity of opinion and all those other things, but is that a notable thing, would you say? I think it is incredibly notable. And putting aside the lack of diversity in opinions, mm -hmm. having none of the so-called great officers of state, yeah. so PM, Home, Foreign, and Chancellor, being a white man for the first time in history is a major step. Yeah. Um, the Conservative Party is now substantially more diverse than it was at the turn of the century. And yes, the diversity of opinion is a problem, but having people from all walks of life mm -hmm. in cabinet is a, is a good step. Yeah. Although when I say all walks of life, this is also one of the most private, privately schooled yes. cabinets. Yeah, they're all privately educated. Um, yeah. yeah, but I think it is a good thing. And they're reaping the rewards sown by David Cameron back in 2015 with yes. his whole A-list thing, which yeah. was this initiative. Which is so funny when the people, the people who are benefiting from this are also saying on Twitter and elsewhere that like this isn't just favoritism, this shouldn't be doing like uh, identity politics stuff yeah. and like denying all of that. And that's essentially for better or worse, what David Cameron was doing back yeah. then. They're reaping the rewards of exactly the thing that they're kind of yeah. trying to besmirch. But anyway, um, it is definitely a very diverse uh, pool of people. And I mean, that's possibly going to hurt Labour too. The contrast there of front benches isn't necessarily going to be the best, especially considering that's something that already came up at PMQs um, with Trust saying that they'd struggle to pick anyone even outside of North London, let alone um, <laughs> of other kind of diverse uh, backgrounds um on that point then um pmqs was this week the first head-to-head -head between yep. starmer and truss um what were your immediate thoughts based on that far more polished yes. far more incisive and policy based mm -hmm. um with johnson it was quite a lot of bluster in his typical like bring it back to the fact that keir starmer was director of the cps yeah when he quit allow Jimmy Savile um, to go free, even though that's not true. I'll keep doing them, you keep yeah. talking. <laughs> yeah, that, that, and like continuing to turn to, we've got unemployment down to X, Y, yes. Z. So that repetition of the lines, get Brexit done, mm -hmm. um, Captain Hindsight, it was less slogan, more policy-based. But I do think that Starmer is still, still has a learning curve to go mm -hmm. to properly tailor himself to attacking trust. Because attacking Truss and attacking Johnson is two completely different beasts. Yeah. And I do think that his skills as a lawyer, mm -hmm. and an established one as that, will come in handy. But he, need, he, he needs to take a leaf out of Johnson's book mm -hmm. and be a bit more blustery and mm -hmm. less incisive, incisive, incisive. If I recall correctly, like the first three or four questions were all on the exact same topic. Yeah. Which is a tactic, but... It doesn't really look good when you're asking the same thing with no impact. Yeah, and Truss was notably more policy-focused in their yes. responses, as you say, leaning less on old attack lines and actually answering the questions, which, for Prime Minister's questions, shouldn't be weird. Uh, answering it in the... Uh, in a political... In of, a course, poli of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. But, like, actually, like, attempting to respond to yes. what was said rather than just throwing back bah. vaccines and... Brexit or whatever else. So exposed on some throwing vaccines across the back. Handfuls of them. Um, but no, I, I do think it was notably different. And I, there were people afterwards saying that uh, Labour could, should be concerned following her first performance. Oh. Do you agree with that? Or it, obviously too soon to tell, but 
Yeah, it's just one of, like analysis of PMQs is the ultimate exercise in confirmation bias. Yeah. Like every left wing commentator was going like, see, I told you she's rubbish. Yeah. Every right wing one was going, oh, see, she's not actually as rubbish as mm. you thought she was going to be. Sure. Um, I think it's too early to tell. It's a single data point. Um, yeah. And I think maybe she was better than expected. But then again, the expectations were absolutely rock bottom, you know. Yeah. Um, this is the sort of that mad cheese lady and she did better than that. So like, fair enough. Pork um, market. What's that? Pork market. Opening up new pork markets. I don't... She's saying pork markets at you. Fair enough. <laughs> it's a good clip. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 it's too early to tell. I, she did okay, I guess. Are there any other notable moments from the last couple of days that you think we should be paying attention to? I think we've done enough. I mean, yeah. we've got quite, quite a lot. Enough. Oh, come on. Yeah, the pound's crashing. You want a break? Oh, easy. Sorry, pound crashing. Yeah. <laughs> that is definitely cut. No, that was not. absolutely shit chat from both of us. <laughs> oh, you want a break, mate? Do you want a break? <laughs> oh, Nelson, pound this crashing. Yeah, pound crashing. on telly. This has got to go. <laughs> this is the meta analysis. Telly, this is not telly. Yeah. Yeah, none of this will be on telly. Okay, okay, okay. This, this might be on Jack's telly when he gets home. Just... Nelson, you got one minute on pound crash. Go. Pound go down... 1985. I, I think we can. We're done. We're done. So, we've got nine core promises, ideologies, policy areas that we're going to be tracking over the next hundred days. Uh, these aren't necessarily things we expect to be done within a hundred days. Some of them explicitly say they will be, yeah. but most of them probably won't. The question really is: when we get to mid-December. Are these things she's actually put action into? Have we moved forward on these things or have they fallen by the wayside? Um, so let's quickly run through the policies. The first one was cutting taxes on day one. We are on day three? Depends when you start counting. Okay. But yeah, day three, no. I mean, we're, saying we're crossing off the list already? Yeah. Uh, what was the promise there though, more broadly? It, it, to it was to cut taxes and specifically to res reverse the national insurance contribution hike. Um, which appears on people's pay slips as the social care and health, health and social care levy, mm -hmm. which was brought in by Rishi Sunak. So she's still, she hasn't done that yet, mm -hmm. but new, like the energy bill stuff that we're going to come on sure. to, it, I think is a more pressing issue. And so, to be fair, I mean, on day one, like, yeah, you yeah. know what she means. Yeah. Like she never meant day one, but we'll see whether that actually... Day one of the fourth week. Yeah, okay. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, next one then is cutting energy bills and acting immediately on that issue. To be fair, she has. Um, some people have said that, oh, immediately she should have done it on the steps of Downing Street. But I think that's asking a bit much. Yeah. Quite that's cool. asking a bit much. Don't want to do it in the rain, do Don't you? Do it in the Not rain. a good photo. Not a big announcement in the no. rain. Yeah. So doing it today, so... She would have been in office for one full day yeah. and doing the announcement. Um, today, I, I, I think she has acted. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah, I think that's and fair. whether or not it's enough, we'll have to wait and see. Mm -hmm. But broadly speaking, broad freezing at the current point is a good move. We've got some progress so far. We'll keep an eye on it. The next one is tackling strike action within 30 days. What does she exactly mean by that, do you think? Yeah, so what she means by that is recently we've been seeing um, quite a few rail strikes mm -hmm. um, Particularly from the RMT and the Aslev Union, but mainly RMT, with Mick Lynch, their general secretary, becoming a figure in and of himself. Yeah. Um, what what she wants to do here is institute what's called minimum service levels. 
currently during a strike, the trains don't need to run. Mm -hmm. uh, a strike is a strike. And if there isn't enough people on board, there isn't enough people on board to safely run the services. So the policy she's trying to implement would ensure that there is a skeleton service. So okay. yes, you might not get a train every five minutes, but at least one train, a half an hour, one train, okay. an hour to keep everyone connected. Okay, we'll see what she does on strikes. It continues to be a big issue, so it'll be interesting. Um, resolving the issue in Northern Ireland. This is a big one. This is a big one. And, and probably, to be fair, not really expected within 100 days, but we're expecting action soon because this is pressing, right? Yes, so um, the EU nominally have a time limit of September 15th mm -hmm. for some legal action to progress to the next stage. So That's like a week. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a tight timetable. And we are already seeing Liz Truss, you, not U-turn, but... Soften. Soften her words. Mm. Soften her words when it comes to Northern Ireland and specifically triggering Article 16, okay. which would have caused a massive trade war. So she hasn't resolved it, but she's not actively adding fuel to the fire at the moment okay i think i'll say on that one is i think it is this is a interesting example of where crises interact with mama because mm. one of the main pressures on the the current standoff over the northern Ireland protocol is unionist upset at, yeah. the, at the current protocol uh, and another the northern ireland is also particularly badly affected by the current energy crisis because northern ireland actually doesn't have a price cap um often doesn't apply there um, and actually, something like seventy percent of Northern Irish homes are heated by oil, which is even more inefficient. And there's, you know, um, incomes are lower in Northern Ireland, levels of insulation are far lower, and obviously the assembly isn't there, which mm -hmm. means there'll be delays in getting out the, all the various help that's been announced. Um, and if the fuel crisis gets worse in Northern Ireland, it will just exacerbate sort of pre-existing political tensions. And so you can so you can see how if that's not sorted, um, you might see further unionist upset and even more pressure on the protocol. Um, in the coming months. Uh, I just think it's an interesting example of how often these apparently independent crises interact with one another to make each other worse. Polycrisis. Yeah, Polycrisis. You Your favourite word? My favourite word. Speaking of another crisis, supporting Ukraine is another one of our key policies. Yeah, so we obviously don't know what exactly she's going to do in the mm -hmm. next few days, but um, her first foreign phone call was with Ukraine's president, mm -hmm. Mr. Zelensky, so it does seem that her first foreign trip will be to Ukraine and sure. that she will not be changing course when it came to Johnson's emphatic yeah. support of Ukraine. Which is something she even brought up in PMQs, highlighting the fact yes. that yes. herself and the Labour Party were aligned on that yeah. agenda. So she seems committed. We'll see what that, actual, what that actually involves. But uh, the next one is keeping inflation under control. Yep, so normally that's not her job. Like, <laughs> okay. Like technically, technically, the job of keeping inflation in control is handed out to the Independent Bank of England, mm -hmm. but... Which Quasi Cartwing went has, to defend, yeah. so... Yeah, so... Really pushing that responsibility over. Yeah, so... We are, we are seeing the Bank of England take more and more decisive action when yes. it comes to interest rates. It's currently 1.75%, which is the highest it's been in a long while... Um, but something that she is also doing to tackle inflation, and I do think she didn't plan for this, mm -hmm. is her plan for energy bills. Most people accept that it will reduce inflation in the short term, and it might even require, like, stop the Bank of England having to raise interest rates any further. Uh, Whether that happens, we'll have to see, though. So I would basically just say two things about that. Um, the first thing is that 
uh, I think she was actually very much conscious of the impact her policies were having on inflation. I mean, a lot of the leadership campaign, um, a lot of the debate between her and Sunak was spent on them talking about the various impacts on inflation. I think that's one of the reasons she's mentioned it as one of her pledges. She's saying, listen, I'm not just, I, I, it's not that I don't care about inflation. I am cognizant of it and I am going to keep it, try and keep it to manageable levels. Um, the other thing I would say is that while her energy price cap will lower the headline inflation number mm -hmm. because obviously energy makes up a massive um, fraction of CPI and having lower energy costs will bring down headline um, number. I think it will actually make the bank um, raise rates more aggressively because the bank is not raising rates to try and like bring energy prices down. Um, the bank, because obviously it can't, that's yeah. due to stuff like Russia and Ukraine and all that sort mm -hmm. of shenanigans. The bank is raising rates to try and limit domestic um, inflationary pressures um, and actually by limiting the price cap and providing more disposable income to households you're only going to exacerbate what the bank sees as the domestic inflationary pressures you know stuff like wage worries about wage price spirals and just about aggregate demand increasing and that sort of thing um, so I think actually she'll she's almost set herself up for a little bit of a battle with the Bank of England because mm -hmm they will be worried about um, the impact that's having on aggregate demand. And we might see, I would, I would expect rates to actually be hiked faster after this announcement and any further fiscal help. We will wait and see. We'll keep an eye on it. The next one is, um, was mentioned in her top three priorities on the steps of number 10, um, ensuring that people have better access to doctors. Yeah, so that's not going to be something she'll be able to fix overnight, but um, Therese Coffey's ABCD priority... If, so if, many letters. If if she can, well, technically it's A B C D D. Don't chuck an E in. Oh, <laughs> go ahead. Um, going forward, that priority, if she genuinely does fix healthcare, yeah, um, that would be a good move. Okay, I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Um, next one is kind of a necessity, almost, is uniting the Conservative Party. Is there anything to say there? She needs to do it. <laughs> yeah, she's, not she's doing lost it. the job if she doesn't, but it's not not off to a great start. But I don't know, hundred days. Like if she can rally people around Ukraine, Ukraine. Well, that kind of stuff. <laughs> you should be a strategist. <laughs> That's yeah. a strategy. That's clever. That's what Johnson did at the end, yeah, right? Just... And it did work for months. It worked, yeah. Yeah. For Any problem, just fly off to Ukraine. Exactly. Um, finally, then, instead of making the Conservative Party more united, making the union more united. She hasn't got off to a great start. What's the, what's the thought process there, do you think? The kind of plan? So some people call it muscular unionism mm -hmm. in that um, basically <laughs> just Sounds good. dominate from the centre and crush the SNP and crush any semblance of Nicola Sturgeon having an independent platform. Mm -hmm. That is a bit weird, especially because... I think it will actually give more ammunition to the SNP and Nicola Sturgeon. So, for instance, during the leadership campaign, um, Liz Truss called Sturgeon an attention seeker, and then Sturgeon hit back saying, you're the one that asked me how to get into Vogue. Mm -hmm. So, Which is good, to be fair. It is good. And we obviously don't know what Liz Truss has planned, but mm -hmm. there were rumours that a so-called Scottish referendum a referendum act was going to be implemented mm -hmm. that would have required a 50% um, approval rating for Scottish independence, yeah. but 50% of all registered voters, not just anyone who's bothered to turn up, yeah. which would have vastly increased the threshold so much so that the no campaign um, last time only got 47% of registered voters. So the fact she's rode back from that 
brief threat mm. um, is is potentially a move towards uniting it, but okay. we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think Nelson's right. Also, the other good quote was, I think she called Mark Drakeford low-energy Jeremy Corbyn. Did you see that? <laughs> no. Which I thought was actually quite a good that diss. That is quite a yeah, pretty good. I think it's um, energy saving, so... I guess True. Uh, cost of living. Um, but uh, yeah, Nelson's right. She's, she's clearly, well, at least her instincts push her towards this like muscular unionism yeah. thing. Um, what's just annoying about all this debate is that, yeah, sure, it's difficult to deal with nationalist sentiment. Like, do you go for more devolution, which mm -hmm. didn't really work in the past? Or do you go for, like, muscular unionism and try to, like, slam it down? But it doesn't look like that's going to work yeah. either. The best thing to do here, I really do think, is just, like, be competent. Just, like, make people think that, are oh, like... That's I don't, a high bar. You, but just, like, even moderately so, just just sort of run, like, a semi-competent government in Westminster. Yeah. yeah. And that should shift sort of the 5% of the very middle who are just, like, uh, who are basically mildly nationalist because they think the SNP is more competent yeah. than, than the various successive conservative governments that you've seen. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think, I, I think basically the, the, almost the worst thing she can do is just diss Nicola Sturgeon and then yeah. diss the Scots and then, you know, have a go at the Welsh. She just needs to probably quieten down about that sort of stuff. I mean, if she wants to get the union together, she probably, the best policy um, is to just quieten down about it and be competent in Westminster. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so those are the nine different policy areas we're going to keep an eye on. There's 100 days. There are something like 20-something podcasts between now and then. That's good news, right? Yeah? Yay. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, yay for you. I'm... Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. That's okay. We'll miss you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Muscular unionism. Um, but yeah, no, those are the nine different policies we'll be tracking. We'll yeah. keep an eye on them. Uh, we will review them. We'll come back. Should we try we'll this ending back. one more time? Should we try it a bit? Do should it quicker. We, just really, like, no, no, then like, should we try a clean ending? So we can oh, no, this ending isn't the ending. Oh, it's not. Not quite. No, you've oh, just sorry. interrupted sorry, this. Sorry, I'm interrupting just, sorry. Just, um, I thought you had like a thing lined up. I kind of do. Okay, sorry, go for it. Take it back, my bad. Let's start again. <laughs> sorry. I don't even know where we're going now. Where, where's the cut going to be? Oh, no. But yeah, we'll have to see how she does. I think this is uh, kind of too early to tell on yes. a lot of these policies. We've got some initial instincts on some of them, but there's no real direction yet because yeah. there's so much going on uh, and so much still going on as we record. Okay, <laughs> thanks so much for watching. We will be back on Tuesday to discuss how Trust's first weekend goes uh, and be sure to submit any questions you've got in the comments and we will bring those up on Tuesday if they're good. And if we don't do a question and answer section, that's on you. Anyway, we will see you on Tuesday and have a nice weekend.